So, we're starting a new series of messages today uh, called How We Grow. So, a uh, fun little story about this uh, series of messages is uh, this is actually the series of messages we were doing uh, right when the COVID pandemic struck and we had to quit church for, you know, doing physical church for like nine months or whatever it was. So, bringing it back with the Delta variant, man. Yeah, it's a really great time for that. So good, uh, good luck. I'm sure Joe Biden will call me tomorrow and be like, hey, man, we need you to back down for a little bit here. So anyway, um, but the material that uh, I think we're going to talk about, this idea of growth is super important. Um, and so I don't want that to get lost, which is part of why we're remixing it for this week and next week and just touch on it a little more. Um, also, I think it's important, we're kind of beginning a new year, so some of you, you're here, uh, you're in Tallahassee for the first time, or the first time in a long time, we're starting a new school year, uh, so families, I know for many of us that kind of leads us to be back on kind of a new schedule. Um, I know some of you are starting new jobs, you know, some of you are moving to Scotland, uh, so yeah, you're doing that, and that's kind of a new thing. And so I feel like as we head into a season of new, I think it's really good for us. We're just going to spend this week and next week taking some time to think about these basic principles about how we grow and how we know and experience God. And I think these are going to be really, hopefully, important principles uh, that we can carry with us into the next year. So uh, I'm going to start here with this statement. The quality of your life will be in large part determined by your openness to growth. Okay? I want to tell you a little story that illustrates this for me. I was a pastor in the Chicago area for a very long time, and uh, uh, when I was doing that, my boss came to me and one of my coworkers, and there was this monthly ministers meeting in our area. Now, I hated this meeting. I affectionately termed it in our household the grumpy ministers meeting, okay, because that's basically what it was, and everyone hated attending it. And so uh, my boss came to me, and basically, he didn't say this, but the subtext of what my boss was saying is, I hate attending this meeting. So uh, three of us are now going to attend this meeting, and we're going to take turns, and one of us is going to go each month. So now I have to go four times instead of 12 times, and you guys now are sharers of my suffering, basically. So it was an opportunity for me to grow closer to Christ, which was really, really great. Um, so this meeting, um, we attended because we're like a large church in our area, and so like my boss cared a lot about us being like a church that was four other churches in our area. He had this conviction this is a way we could kind of say that. And also, my boss knew if we didn't go, all the other grumpy ministers who were all pretty much 45 to 65-year-old white men would get real crusty, and they would complain that we weren't there. And so this was kind of like running some defense so that they couldn't do that, you know, kind of thing. Um, I'm not kidding you. This meeting was held in a Christian nursing home. So nothing says, get ready for a Viber meeting, kids, like a meeting in a Christian nursing home. One of the actual agenda items, again, not kidding, Every month, an agenda item was they would talk about what the intake was at the nursing home that month. Okay, so real exciting stuff here, kids. Like, I can't tell you how, how exciting and invigorating uh, all this stuff was. And we would go, but you know what? The most depressing part of this meeting was, was the bacon. They cooked it very poorly. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, it was really poorly cooked. But the depressing part is I'm surrounded by all these people, people with a wealth of experience and knowledge that they can share, uh, people with lots of life experience, uh, people who, as a young pastor at the time, I was probably like 25 or so when I was a part of this meeting, who, who could have poured a lot of really helpful, good stuff into my life, but they were so stuck in their own ways, you, could, you couldn't handle it. Like, you couldn't bear it. Going to this meeting and trying to talk to these guys about anything kind of sounded like this uh, next little image we'll kind of show you right here. 
Um, it, it felt like talking to the, one of these. You know, you ever have a friend who feels like one of these? And it's like, why am I wasting my time right now? Like, I am just talking to you. You're not going to change, but it's kind of nice when you talk to your brick wall because at the end you can just hit your head against it. And be like, why am I doing this to myself? And that's exactly what it felt like. The most depressing part was this room was filled with people who should be pictures of life and love from God, right? And instead, they were a picture of what happens to us when we decide at some point in our journey, I'm done growing, and I'm going to be set in my ways, and I'm not going to change. Um, I'm reading this book right now called Loving People. It's by a psychologist named Dr. John Townsend. And he makes this argument in the book that part of what it means to love people well, which if you're a follower of Jesus, we should be all ears because that's kind of important, okay? Part of what it means to love people well is that we are committed to growth. Uh, any married people can tell you that out of love for their partner, at some point, they learn to grow through a bad habit or to deal with prior baggage they carried into their marriage out of love for the other person. Uh, some of you are kind of squinting your face, so uh, sorry, sorry about how that's going in your marriage right now, my bad. Um, roommates, right? The sign of a loving roommate is not that they say, well, here are my bad habits, deal with it, right? A loving roommate will say, hey, I know it frustrates you when I do X, Y, Z, so you know what? I'm going to do this instead, right? Like they're going to work on it. Uh, parents, right? Part of my, like obviously as a parent, right, you understand your ultimate role is to provide and raise and all that kind of stuff for your children. It's not an equal relationship. But there's kind of this understanding that part of what it means for your children to mature and grow is that eventually, slowly, they begin to take more of the load around the home as a sign of love for you or for the family, right? That that's just the parents are like, I love this church. This is a great church. I love it. This is wonderful. Play that back again. You know, anyway. Right? That's part of what it means to love people, right? Is that we are committed to growing and to seeing growth. But what we're talking about in this series isn't just how do we grow kind of personally or in our personal relationships? It's how do we grow closer to God? And the mission of our church is that we want to help disconnected people connect to God. And whether you're watching online or you're here in person today, and maybe you feel like, hey, I'm feeling super connected to God, or hey, I'm really disconnected, I'm checking out the Jesus thing for the first time. We aren't just talking about growing closer to other people. We're talking about growing closer to the living God. And what an important endeavor that is for us. Um, some of you might be like, well, hey, what's the big deal? Like, you know, I feel like I've gotten this far without being close to God, so why would I want to do that? Great question. Um, I, we could pick 300 Bible verses to talk about this. I just want to show you three, okay? Psalm, uh, first Psalm, Psalm number one, opens up this thing. You know, Psalms, even if you're not a Jesus person, you probably know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's Psalm 23, right? That's like, you know, part and parcel. A lot, uh, something that a lot of us know or have heard before. Psalm 1 is the very first psalm. Kicks off this whole book. And here's how Psalm 1 begins. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. This is a person who has grown close to God, in other words. And here's what happens. Verse 3 tells us. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Okay, now, you got to remember, this is Israel. Okay, this is a place where the psalmist is writing, where they knew what it was like to go through famine and drought and to see, like, some arid, rough climate, okay? If you're a tree in the desert, you should be really afraid, unless you're a tree in the desert that's right next to a stream of water, because guess what? Even when it's dry out here, your roots are already in the life source. You have nothing to worry about. 
And the psalmist says, a life that has grown close to God is just like that kind of tree. Things around you can be awful, terrible, falling down. You're going to be okay. Jesus, he's speaking to this woman, a woman who, in fact, the entire culture around her would consider disconnected from God, not close from God. He comes up to a well. This woman is drawing water at the well. Jesus says, hey, can you give me some water? She says, why are you asking me for water? And then Jesus does this weird Jesus thing where he's like, you should ask me about water, right? And so then she's like, what are you talking about? And Jesus responds. He says this, everyone who drinks this water, and I imagine him kind of motioning to the well in front of him, will get thirsty again. But the person who drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. So Jesus says, hey, if you, if you, if you get on board with me, guess what's going to happen? You've got this ever-replenishing spring of life-giving water inside of you. And he's like, well, I would like to learn about that water, sir. And then you can read John 4 and see what happens. Later on, John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He makes a statement, a statement maybe you've heard before, a statement I apologize if you heard it is like a banging you over the head because I want to draw something else out of it. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says, guys, I want you to understand something. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I want to draw our attention to that word, life, right? Jesus says, I, in my very essence, am life. Right? If you know me, you know life. If we want to know life, if we want to know living water, if you want to be the tree that's planted by the stream that doesn't have to worry when it gets drought outside, okay, then you need to grow close to God. Right? That's, the, that's the way that that happens. And so that's what we're going to talk about uh, here in the next several weeks together. Now, I'm going to talk later on here today about I've created a little formula for how we grow. But because it's only minute eight of the sermon, I can't tell you about it yet, okay? <laughs> so, but seriously, I'm going to talk about some of the barriers that we have to growth. Because here's the thing. You can know exactly what to do, but if you don't deal with the barriers in the way of what you know you need to do, you're never going to get healthy, right? Like, I've been talking about losing weight for, I don't know, 33 years right about now, right? And so the problem is, like, I haven't dealt with some of the barriers that get in the way of that. Right? So we should know our opposition, our obstacles, and that will set us up to be ready for the solution. So I want to talk about some of the lies that we believe about growth that get in our way of growing close to God. Here's lie number one. Lie number one is, I just can't grow. I am, I am too much of a sinner. I've got a thing in my past. I'm a, I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. You know, like, I don't know whatever it is that you think. We all have these kind of things where we go, well, I just can't grow. Like, God can't grow a person like me. A person like me can't grow close. My family, I, I don't have enough. Whatever it is, okay, that we all have these things. And here's the truth that I believe God wants to speak over each of us, which is growth can happen anytime, anywhere, with anyone. Anytime, anywhere, with anyone. There are a number of examples we could lift up to talk about this. I'm going to talk to you about the example of one of Jesus' 12 disciples, a man named Matthew. Matthew was a, does anyone know what Matthew was? Tax collector, thank you. Okay, tax collector. Matthew was a Jewish tax collector. Now, I say Jewish because Israel was currently ruled by the Romans. And Matthew basically sold his soul to the Romans to make a buck. So Matthew would sit in his little tax collector booth, all the Jewish friends and family that he knew in his town hated him because he was working for the man 
He was a sign of oppression. He had just kind of, he was like the Benedict Arnold. He was a traitor to all of them. And what made it worse, Matthew was a tax collector, which basically meant Matthew made a living extorting and stealing from the weakest members of society. The way tax collecting worked in the ancient world was Rome would basically say, hey, we're going to put, uh, we're going to put a tax collecting booth at the corner of Tram and Capital Circle. And you would basically bid to say, well, I can make a million dollars if you let me have that booth. Oh, I can make 1.5. And you just keep doing that. And basically, as a tax collector, once you made the amount that you promised to give to the empire, you got to keep everything after that. So can you think that most tax collectors would basically spend the first you know, month or two of the year making their payroll, and then the rest was gravy? That was how Matthew made a living. So Matthew's not the kind of guy that you or I would really like to associate with, probably. We would not, when Matthew's coming our way, I'm going the other way, okay? That's kind of how Matthew got treated. Then Jesus comes to town, and he makes eye contact with Matthew across the way, sees him in his little tax collector booth, and he starts walking over. And everyone else is like, hey, come, come, get a, come get a look at that. Hey, I'm going live right now. We're going to make sure to capture this, okay? Because everyone thought Jesus was going to walk over, and he was going to chew Matthew out. And he was going to dress him down verbally. He's going to assault him. He might spit on him. You know, who did, like he's going to be like, man, you're a traitor. Everyone hates you. You know, whatever he's going to do. And Jesus did something even more shocking. And what's great is Matthew writes one of the biographies of Jesus' life that tells us about it. Okay, here's what Matthew tells us about his story. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. Oh, that's me. Uh, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Jesus asked slimy, messed up Matthew to be his follower. And he did it at his workplace. I mean, some of us, we think like, yeah, if I'm going to meet with God, work is the last place I'm going to do that at, right? Um, but not Jesus. Now, here's what's funny. As far as we know, this is the first conversation Jesus ever had with Matthew. There is no prior mention of Jesus ever talking to Matthew. Jesus didn't walk up to Matthew and say, well, Matthew, I would like for you to be my follower, but you need to have a more upstanding profession. So I need you to quit your job, and then we'll have like a 12-month purification period, and blah, 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 right? Didn't do that. Didn't say, Matthew, I'd love for you to be my follower, but I'm going to need a 20-page statement of faith, and uh, I'm going to need you to cite all of your sources. Here's my Wayne Gruden Systematics Theology textbook that's 9,000 pages long. We're going to need you to read that by Tuesday. Then maybe we can talk about it. Nope, Jesus doesn't say that. He says, hey, Matthew, would you like to be my follower? Sure. He doesn't ask for a statement of faith. He doesn't even say, Matthew, you're going to need to quit your job. He just says, hey, Matthew, I'd like for you to follow me. If Jesus can walk up to a messed up person like Matthew and just say, hey, follow me, and Matthew can answer affirmatively to that question, I think each and every one of us listening to this message can also do the same. I don't think that has changed. Here's line number two we believe about growth. We believe that growth will just um, uh, you know, my counselor is a guy named Ken, and Ken says frequently when I go in for a counseling session, he's like, Wes, wouldn't it be great if God could just zap us and we're all better? And I'm thinking, yeah, Ken, that would be great. It'd save me a lot of money. Um, we could just leave, you know, like whatever. Like, that'd be so great. And, he said, and then Ken says, well, it doesn't work that way. I was like, thanks a lot, Ken. Yeah, that's really great. But it's true. It doesn't work that way. Um, growth doesn't just happen. Growth is something, here's kind of the truth I think God wants to speak over us, is that, in fact, in growth, effort is required, okay? Now, we often don't like that idea of effort, right? But I kind of imagine God's grace being dispensed to us is kind of like this. Imagine someone said, hey, I'd like to give you the opportunity of a lifetime. We're going to go hiking in the, in the beautiful mountains of Peru, okay? 
It's going to be a trip of a lifetime. I'm going to pay all your expenses. It's going to be great. The weather's going to be awesome, whatever. You would say yes to that. But the problem is, my fat self can't just walk off the plane and be like, well, today we're going hiking up the mountain. You know, like you can't do that, right? It would be a great trip, I'm sure. But if I'm not physically prepared for it, the trip is going to be lost on me, right? I'm sure it'll be nice, but it ain't going to be great. In fact, it's probably going to be like, Remember that one time Wes went to the hospital with altitude sickness, right? Like, that's probably what's going to happen, right? If I'm going to get the most out of that trip, I have to prepare for the trip, okay? Here's why I think. A lot of us, we want a 10 out of 10 experience with Jesus, but this is just my life. I can't speak to yours, but maybe you're a lot like me. I want a 10 out of 10 life with Jesus with a 2 out of 10 effort. Not how it works. A 2 out of 10 effort usually yields a 2 out of 10 experience in my, in my, in my you know, life has taught me so far. Okay? Uh, if you've attended Crossbridge any amount of time, you're probably like, okay, he's going to say this in 3, 2, 1. This quote from Dallas Willard, grace is, not oppo- grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Okay, Dallas Willard, great writer and thinker of the Christian faith. Everyone committed to growth. You should read this book, The Great Omission. Um, I'm so committed to growth, I just read it six months ago. So if you haven't done it yet, it's okay. Um, the Dallas Willard said grace, God's grace is not opposed, uh, grace, I'm sorry, God's grace is opposed to earning, okay? We don't earn it. It's not given to us because I'm a good person. It's not given to me because I checked off enough boxes that God saw fit to offer me grace. Nope, just get, comes to you straight as it is, right? But it is not opposed to effort. And then the same way, if I want to get the most out of that trip, I'm going to have to train beforehand. If we want to get the most out of our Christian life, it's going to require some effort on our part along the way. Okay? It's going to mean that if I want a 10 out of 10 experience with Christ, it's going to lead to a 10 out of 10 effort. And if you ever poke under the faith of a person, if you're like, wow, they are close to God. Here's why I've always found out. They always have a story where I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that, actually. Right? Well, now I think I just answered my question. A lot of us say that we want to grow close to God, but what we really mean is, God, I would love to grow close to you without changing anything. Not how it works. Now, one of the things that gets frustrating is, well, why is it that way? Why is it that way? Now, I don't know all the answers to that question, but here's kind of what I think. Have you ever watched one of those like TLC specials where it was like when people, <laughs> you already laughed, Saul was already laughing, like, oh my gosh, here he goes. It's 10 minutes in, he's quoting TLC. Anyway. But like TLC always has those shows where it's like my hundred million dollar lottery winning and like and then they're like in jail at the end or like whatever, you know? And I kind of imagine God's grace functioning that way of God knows, right? When, when a person wins the lottery, all it does is amplify the problems or health that already existed in the first place, right? If my life was wrapped with a bunch of problems, if I was addicted, if I was unwise in the way I spend, right? Getting more money, surprisingly, doesn't fix that. It just gives me more ammo to shoot myself with, right? And likewise, if I was good with my small amount of money, and then I get the gift of more money, right? Well, hey, great, that's more ammo for me to succeed with, right? Well, I think God understands is, hey, I've got this beautiful gift, and my grace is offered completely and fully to you at any moment. But I'm smart enough to know that I can't bless you with all of that at once when you don't have the internal character structure to sustain and support it, which is exactly why the effort is required. Because it's in that process our character is shaped and changed into the kind of people God is able to bless. Philippians chapter 2. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible through this season. 
the uh, church leader Paul writes this. He says, continue to work out. That's the effort part right there. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So Paul says, hey, let me tell you how this works. When your effort meets God's grace, growth happens. But you need both. One is already there. The second is up to us. Which leads me to the third thing. Okay, Third line we believe about growth. Is that I can check off the boxes and grow. Okay, I've been a pastor for about 12 years now. And I've had this experience quite often. Someone will be new to our church. They may, they may become a Christian for the first time. They, they give their lives to Christ. It's awesome. It's beautiful. And the first thing they do, they're like an overexcited puppy. And they're like, how many things can I sign up for, right? It says like, oh, there's a group every night of the week. Well, sign me up for all seven, you know, or whatever it is, right? And they're a sermon, and they're in a group, and they're doing all these kind of things, right? Whatever it is, right? And they're loving it, right? It is activating their faith. It's a catalyst for all these wonderful things that are going on in their lives. It's great. And then six months later, or a year later, or two years later, the payoff and the return on the investment isn't quite the same that they remember it being before. And now they start to think, gosh, is something wrong with me? Or they think, something must be wrong with this church. Or something must be wrong with God. And so then they kind of walk away because they're like, well, this doesn't work anymore. Well, beg to differ. Um, when you learn how to lift weights, I've done this before. I went to a bench press at Anytime Fitness on North Monroe Street, and this is one of the most embarrassing things in my entire life. I decided I was going to learn how to bench press. And I am sitting here on the bench press bench. I am benching just the bar, okay? Just the bar. It's like 25 pounds, right? And my, and my chest hurt the next day. Like, that's how sad it was. Like, my, my body was like, I didn't know you could have muscles there, actually, you know? It was kind of doing that thing. Now, here's the thing. When you go to the gym, if you're like me and you've never done that before, benching the bar is great. Like, that's a fantastic place to start. But if a year later, you're still just benching the bar, we don't go, oh, good job, right? We go, what is wrong with you, right? Because you got to add resistance to the bar if you're going to grow, right? Your musculature is only going to grow to a particular point with a particular amount of resistance, right? It's in switching it up, either add a new weight, do a new exercise, right? That's where the muscle grows, which leads me to the third truth I think God wants to give us. Growth is a journey that moves from general to specific, okay? What that means is, at the beginning of our journey, there are a lot of needs that a church program, a church like ours, can meet, right? Because all of us have a need for loving community. All of us have a need to serve and to use our gifts in the body of Christ. All of us have a need to grow in the basic disciplines of how I spend time with God, right? Those are general needs we all share. But in the same way that as my, my fitness journey goes farther along, I have specific and different needs. In the same way that when I go to my doctor, I don't just want him to read like what he had in his medical textbook. I want him to take my blood pressure and run tests on my blood and, you know, take a look at my symptoms, right? Like I want specific knowledge that he or she has to share, right? Our journeys at some point are going to get more specific. They're going to move from a 1.0 program to a 2.0 personal experience, to a 3.0, to a 4.0, right? Because growth is a never-ending process. Mark chapter 7, you can read it yourself. Jesus meets this young man 
who comes up to him and says, Jesus, I want to grow close to you. And Jesus says, well, have you done? And he like kind of lists off all the basic 1.0 level things that if you're a good Jewish boy, you would do, right? And the guy says, well, I'm doing all those, Jesus. So help me out here, man. What do you got? And Jesus looks at him. And Mark, I love what Mark writes. He says, Jesus looked at the young man and he loved him, which tells us that Jesus is going to lay down the hammer. But he's not doing it because he doesn't like the guy. He's doing it because he's trying to help him. He says, well, one thing you lack. How about you sell everything you own and come follow me? And Mark says, the guy walked away sad because he had a lot of money and a lot of stuff. And here's what Jesus said. You've done a really great job at the general stuff. Now we're going to get specific. <laughs> and that's where it got hard. Now, what's interesting is Jesus doesn't tell everyone to sell our stuff. Jesus is not opposed to stuff. Jesus is not opposed to money, right? But what Jesus knew was for this guy, that was the burden that was holding him back. And part of his journey from general to specific meant he was going to have to deal with the specific things in his specific life that were holding him back from being the specific person that God had called him to be. And the same is going to be true for us. Okay? So what is the formula for growth? Here it is. Get your pencil right. Here it is. So good. Okay? Here's how we grow. Hearing from God, responding to what we hear, and then repeating that process will yield growing closer to God. Hearing plus responding plus repeating equals growing. Now, I recognize some of you are like, oh, I waited 23 minutes for that. Oh, okay. Someone had a light week this week. You know, I don't know whatever it is, right? Now, here's what I want to tell you. That may sound simple. It is not easy. Getting out of debt is really simple, guys. You spend less than you make, and you put the margin toward your bills. But if you ask anyone who's ever clawed their way out of debt, they will tell you, yeah, that one easy. That was hard. Same is true for this. It may be very simple. <laughs> Do not mistake simple for easy. Next week, we're going to talk about the hearing and response, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the responding and repeating. I don't even know what we're talking about. Anyway, uh, I thought it's back in two weeks. Who cares? Anyway, uh, so we'll talk about the uh, responding and repeating next week. I want to, though, talk about the hearing today and the time that we have left. And all I want to do, normally when I talk about hearing from God, I'm like, you should do this and you should do that or whatever. I'm going to switch it up because I feel like that never works. Um, so four and a half years of talking, it doesn't work. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you three questions today to kind of ask yourself to think about, am I hearing from God or am I in a position to hear from God? And if you can answer these questions in the affirmative, hey, I believe it's going to happen. But if you can't go, eh, I don't know. Um, well, hey, that creates a good conversation with your small group, with Jesus, with your spouse, whoever, to kind of think about, okay, well, maybe maybe there's an area here that we can talk about, okay? So here are the three questions to know if we're hearing from God. Question number one is this. Where am I positioned? Um, when it comes to hearing from God, not all places are created equal. Um, I don't want to tout myself too much, but I think you're probably more likely to hear from God in a place like this than you are at the nightclub on Saturday night. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I need to go to 10 nightclub or whatever it is. I don't know. Uh, apparently it's not open anymore. So uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there is a lot of hearing from God happening there. Maybe some drinks are involved in that. I don't know. But anyway, not all environments are created equal when it comes to hearing from God. And so this question about where am I positioned is basically, am I positioning myself in the places where I'm going to hear from God? Is church essential or is it optional for me? Is being a part of a loving community of people who are also trying to go, grow closer to God, who have permission to speak into my life to both encourage me and challenge me, is that like honestly a thing that happens or is it not so much? 
Um, am I serving? Am I opening my Bible on a regular basis? Am I spending time talking to God on a regular basis, right? And when my answer to those questions are no or not really or maybe, well, I, I kind of learned something about where I'm positioned. I might learn something about why I'm struggling potentially to hear from God, okay? Jesus uh, is a really good example of us uh, to us on this. Luke chapter 4, uh, Luke tells us this about Jesus. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day went into the synagogue. Let's just all say these four words together. As was his custom. Okay, now, um, sometimes people come up to me and they say, Wes, I didn't get a whole lot out of that today. Okay, thanks. I appreciate that. That was good. Um, thanks for giving Ken another 80 bucks that we can talk about this week. That's good. Um, Jesus is the only person who could come up and say, that wasn't very helpful to me today. And I'd be like, yeah, you are absolutely correct, Jesus. That probably was not helpful. Because he was like, hi, I'd like to meet you. I'm Jesus, the son of God. Um, I, you had a few theological inaccuracies today, Wes. I, okay, hey, right, yeah. G, like, if anyone can ever go to church and be like, ah, that was super helpful to me, Jesus was the person, okay? But yet, Luke tells us Jesus made it his custom to be a part of a community gathered for worship. What do you think that says about the importance of worship? If the freaking son of God felt like it was important once a week for him to go to church, I think that should say something about my need to go to church, okay? Jesus frequently, we're told in the Gospels, he would get away alone just to be him and God, you know? Like, they would do that kind of thing. It would get so bad, like, his disciples would be like, we don't know where Jesus is. Like, he turned off, find my friends. He's on airplane mode. I can't find him right there. Right? They would, like, go around trying to find him. Jesus, when they would have, like, a big ministry moment, um, instead of like him walking out like big man on campus with black Escalade with the tinted windows, you know, like, oh, look how important we are. I'm on the front of Us Weekly now, you know. Like, no, he would take his disciples and they would go away and they would get away from everyone, be alone with God and be in community with each other, okay? Here's all I'm trying to tell you. If the Son of God felt like it was that important for him to position himself in a position to hear from God, how much more important do you think it is for us? I'll just leave it at that. Second thing. Second question to ask is, what is my posture? What is my posture? This refers to not so much where I am, but how my heart is positioned before God. Is my heart positioned in a place where I am ready to hear, or is my heart just kind of like doing its own thing off on its own? A couple weeks ago, many of you know, I like to work uh, from the McDonald's just up the street here at Orange and Monroe. And I sit up in the lobby and I write and do all stuff there, become friends with some of the staff there. McDonald's is kind of this thing like a lot of businesses around here have where like no one wants to work in the hospitality industry right now. And so McDonald's is like half the time running with like, you know, one and a half employees at any given moment. So one of the things that they frequently will do is they'll actually shut down their dining room so they can just like focus on people in the drive through so this particular day, I was having a real rough day. I was feeling depressed. I was kind of fighting some battles that day. I honestly don't even remember what the whole deal was about. I just remember I was depressed that day. And so I get out my, I pull up. It's like, you know, 1 p.m. or something like that, getting ready to work for the afternoon. I pull up. I walk up to the door. I get to open the door, and the door is locked. And I'm like, oh, great. Now my bad day just got worse. So I'm walking back to my car, and as I'm, like, opening up my trunk, I throw my bag back in there and figure out where I'm going to go or what I'm going to do. Um, the manager opens up the door. Her name's Carrie. Now, Carrie's not like a cute, cuddly person, okay? My experience with Carrie is like, yes, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. You know, like that kind of thing. Because she's always like yelling at the employees to do whatever it is that they're supposed to do, you know? And so I don't want to get on Carrie's bad side. But Carrie opens up the door, and she's like, you want to come in here? 
And I was like, are you talking to me? Like, is this a trick? Like, are you going to be like, because you can't, you know, like slam the door open, like, I don't know what she's going to do. So Gary Elkins is like, you want to come in here? I'm like, look at, I'm like the only person in the parking lot. I'm like, are you me? Uh, do you guys open? Like, you'll need to open for me. And I do the thing I always do, which is like, oh, thank you for trying to be nice. You don't have to do a nice thing for me. It's okay. I don't deserve nice things. I should just, you know, I was going to crawl and live under a bridge, you know, or whatever it is. And she's like, come on in here. The like wasn't so inviting. It was just like, come, come in here, you know, like that kind of thing. So now I'm like, okay, well, you're commanding me to come in now, so I can't say no. So I walk in, I set up, she looks at me, she's like, you want coffee? You know, because like I always go and get a small decaf coffee. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And uh, she just says, I'll bring it out to you. And so now it's like that weird thing where I'm like, so am I going to pay for it? Am I not? Like, I don't want to be presumptuous and like walk back in the and then have her be like, what are you doing? Come back here, pay for it. You're like, whatever. So I like, she's like, don't worry, I got you. I was like, okay. And so I like, sit down in my chair. She comes out later on, like five minutes later, after she's brewed this fresh pot of decaf, and she brings it out. It's not small, it's a medium. So I'm like, oh, yeah, wow. So now I already decided I was going to, like, the first thing I was going to do when I sat down at McDonald's was I was going to, like, you know, read my Bible, pray, try and get my day a little bit back on track. And so I do that. And uh, as I'm wrapping up reading, I'm getting ready to kind of just pray, you know, um, in my seat there. As I begin to pray in my seat, like, I swear this is the Holy Spirit kind of taps me on the shoulder and says, Wes, do you not see what I'm doing right here? And I was like, no. Um, <laughs> and it's like, hey, all this stuff, like these little small things, right? Carrie opening the door, you getting a free coffee, you getting a free bigger coffee than what you normally get. These are all just little things I want to kind of send your way to say, hey, I'm with you. Hey, I've got you. Hey, you're good. And I was very thankful for that. That was, a, that was a day changer for me. But here's what's scary. I would have totally missed it because my heart was not in the right posture to receive. Because my heart did not see, hey, this is a moment where I can hear from God. Because this wasn't a moment where I did what the ancients called practicing the presence, which is this idea of everywhere I go, I am aware God is with me speaking and working in every single moment if I would be aware of it. Some of you might know this story about a young boy named Samuel. Samuel was dedicated in the temple um, by his parents, and uh, he was basically like dedicated to the Lord. So he's being raised in the temple by the senior priest, who's a guy named Eli. And there's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 3 where uh, Samuel uh, hears this voice calling, and he goes, Samuel, Samuel, you know. And so he gets up thinking it's Eli, and he walks in to go see Eli. And Eli, thinking Samuel's being the dumb kid, is like, you know, go to sleep. Like, no, no no more books, no more milk, okay, just go to sleep. Uh, no, we're not going to watch Paw Patrol for the ninth time, or whatever it is, okay? Go to sleep. So this happens a couple of times, and then Samuel walks in again, and Eli clicks. He's like, I don't think Samuel is, like, pulling, pulling my chain here. Like, I think, I think something is really I think God is actually trying to speak to Samuel. So Eli gives Samuel this really sage advice. He says this, Samuel, go and lie down, and if he, if God, if you hear that voice again calling you, here's what you say. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. That's the heart of a, of a heart that is postured well before God. That every moment is a speak, Lord, your servant is listening kind of moment. Last question to ask. What have I done with previous revelation? 
Jesus told this story in Mark chapter 12 of a guy who owned a vineyard. And the guy owned this vineyard, and he leased it out to a bunch of people to work the land. And then at the harvest season, they would kind of give him a cut off the top, and they could take the rest and sell it or do whatever they were going to do with it. And so harvest time comes around, and the owner of the vineyard sends some of his servants to go collect you know, his take of the vineyard of that year's crop. And the guys who are working the vineyard see their opportunity to like kind of hold on to everything for themselves. And so they decide, well, we're just going to beat up the guy, you know, the, the servant that gets sent. So they beat him up, they leave him for dead, all that kind of stuff, and that's kind of their story. And the vineyard owner, you know, guy comes back, he sends another servant, same thing happens. Sends a third servant, same thing happens. Eventually it gets bad enough where he's like, okay, they aren't giving me my stuff. I'm going to send my son, because surely if I send my son, they'll listen to him. Like, they'll honor him. They'll respect him, which I think is a stupid strategy. Like, come on, dude. Like, you've sent, like, four servants. You think it's going to get any better? Okay, anyway. So this guy sends his son, and the son, they don't just beat him up. They kill him. And then Jesus sends a parable. Send one of Jesus' happy, cute, cuddly parables, because here's how the parable ends. He says, uh, Mark 12, 9, So what will the owner of the vineyard do? Well, he's going to call Sylvester Stallone. That's what he's going to do. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. We're doing Rambo 6 right here. You know? We're going all out on this right now. And Jesus told this parable to kind of illustrate what was happening with the nation of Israel. God had sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. And every time they beat them up, they wouldn't listen to them, they'd throw them out, they would kill some of them, they'd throw them in cisterns, they'd do all this crazy stuff to them. They wouldn't listen until finally God sent his son, and what would Jesus prophetically predicts, guess what's going to happen to the son? He's going to get killed. He's going to die. Now, this is a lot we can take out of this little story here. I just want to observe this one little thing. Jesus is basically saying here, guys, God's going to keep sending messengers up to a certain point until it's kind of like, hey, like, what do you want me to do? You, you know what to do. I'm just kind of tired of sending people your way all the time, right? You're open to listen, right? The nation of Israel, right? They would be open to receiving the grace of God offered through Jesus. In fact, many of the first century Christians were Jewish, right? There were the very people that had rejected Jesus weeks, months, years earlier, okay? Like, God is open to second, third, fourth, fifth millionth chances, right? But what God said is essentially, hey, I have spoken. You just have chosen not to listen. So I'm not going to burden myself with feeling like I need to speak a lot anymore. If you've ever had a friend, ever have friends who's like, hey, I was hoping to pick your brain on this thing, you know? And then you go in and like you give them their advice and you're very thought out and all that kind of stuff. And then later on you find out they just did whatever the heck they wanted to do anyway. And you discover, oh, oh, oh you didn't want advice. You wanted affirmation of what you had already decided. And after that happens once or twice, you know what my attitude becomes? I'm not really moving too much in my schedule to make time for you anymore. And I think a lot of times you're saying, God, I would love to hear from you. God, I would love to hear from you. And God said, you already have. You just haven't done anything with it yet, right? And so I'm not going to give you a second message until you do something with the first message, right? I want you to hang on to that. I want you to use that. And I think oftentimes when we think about our struggle to hear from God, that's kind of where we struggle at. I'll finish with this. One of my favorite preachers is a guy named Andy Stanley. He tells a story about uh, when he was a young dad, uh, one of his kids and he had like a big argument, you know. And so it was one of those arguments where the kid decided uh, he was just going to like run away from home, you know. So he packs up like his little knapsack and like goes to one of his buddy's house and plays for a few hours. 
eventually, when his parents can't find him anymore, they start having that freak out moment. The parents have like, oh my gosh, I've lost my kid. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be on the news. Oh, this is probably like a Dateline special. And like, they've lured my kid, you know, or whatever. They start doing that thing. So now they start doing, like calling just everyone they know to say, hey, have you seen Andrew? Have you seen Andrew? Have you seen Andrew? They finally called the home of this friend who Andrew, their son, had run away to. And mom is on the phone. You know, the, the mom of this kid is on the phone. And uh, he, she turns and says, hey, Andrew, your daddy is looking for you. And Andy Stanley says, I could hurt my kid as clear as a bell in the back and say, but I'm not looking for him. <laughs> I think sometimes that's how we act with God. God, 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 I'm not. I'm not sure I'm ready to hear it. You're looking for me. I might not be ready to look for you. Here's a beautiful thing, though. God is always open. His arms are always open to receive and to welcome us. They are like the father in the story from Luke 15, the prodigal son who welcomes his runaway child back home. The question for us is, are we willing and ready to look and to seek and to hear from him? I'll go back to this verse again. Philippians chapter 2. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. The heart of God is to meet us in wherever we are. The heart of God is to meet us in suffering. The heart of God is to meet us in joy. I believe about God that God created communication and God desires to hear from us and God desires to be known by us. Now, I got to really admit to you, as a pastor, I don't understand how all that works sometimes. I don't understand why people go through stuck seasons with God, can't hear from God, feel like they're struggling to know God. I wish I did. I wish I had the magic wand. I wish I understood God enough to say that. Uh, there were times in the past where I felt like I did, and I feel like I need to be honest with you and say, I don't. I know there are a lot of stuck people in our church struggling to hear from God. I wish I had all the answers. But here's what I do know. I believe that scripture is clear from cover to cover that our God desires to know us. The question is, do I desire to know him? And when the answer to that question is yes, I believe the grace of God meets us there. He desires to see us there. Let's meet him there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I give you thanks that you came to find us when we were not looking for you. Lord, help us to turn our hearts and souls over to you this day, that we might find you, that we might be known by you, that we might see you and discover you in a whole new way. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your perfect and powerful name.